Welcome to the Skillset Podcast, brought to you by the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina and Publishers Weekly. I'm David Lankus, Professor and Director of the School. David Selleb has served as the Oak Park Public Library's Executive Director since May 1st, 2013. A lifelong Chicago area resident, David brings leadership experience and vision for people-centered library services to Oak Park. He attributes the success that his library organization has had in serving the most vulnerable of the community, identifying and eliminating barriers in service, and advancing community objectives to his personal and professional engagement and the work of the Harwood Institute and its practice. This podcast is part of our Collective Care series. Welcome, my friend, and thank you so much for joining us today uh, for this discussion about collective care in libraries. For the record, could you give us your name, your organization, and your title, please? Yes, absolutely. My name is David Seleb, and I am the executive director of the Oak Park Public Library in Oak Park, Illinois, just outside of the city of Chicago, where I've worked for the past seven and a half years. And thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. I'm very grateful to have an an initial opportunity to chat with you. So to get us started, could you talk a little bit about your path to librarianship and tell us a little bit about your career, uh, perhaps even your philosophy about librarianship and how you approach uh, the work that you do? I've worked in libraries and library organizations in the state of Illinois for almost 32 years. And I uh, entered library school uh, right out of undergraduate school in the in the late 1980s. And I did that after thinking initially that what I was going to do was teach high school English. Okay. So I got my, uh, I'm sorry, I got my bachelor's degree in English uh, with a minor concentration in secondary education. But after uh, some self-reflection and time student teaching at the end (laughs) of my four years of college, I determined that that was not what I was going to do. And uh, one of the only other things I had ever thought about doing was working in libraries. And I had done so all through college. Uh, at at our local public library doing a variety of of different jobs. And it just so happened that when I was getting ready to to, uh, graduate that a position became available. We had a new library director and I went in and talked to her about the job. And she told me that uh, as long as I applied right away to to library school and would get accepted and could start working on my degree right away, that she would give me the job. And so she did. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. And uh, I mean, and so I, you know, I've worked, as I said, for almost 32 years in libraries in Illinois and mostly in public libraries. And so tremendous, tremendous changes in in our world and in libraries over those 32 years, not the least of which is the prevalence of technology, uh, which was practically non-existent Mm -hmm. when when I I started. 
and uh, and so there my philosophy of librarianship has evolved uh, a lot over those 32 years as i've gotten older and seen uh just what uh effect libraries and good library service can have on communities and on people's lives and at this point i i, I like to say that my philosophy is one of of people-centered services one where we really work very hard and listen as carefully as we can to what our communities are telling us they need and want mm -hmm. to determine just how we need to go about uh, providing providing those services. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, thank you. So with that in mind, can you talk to me a little bit about your ideas and thoughts about self-care and also about how we also provide collective care to our not only our community members but our library community our library family so how does your philosophy feed into this idea of self-care and collective care it's taken me uh, a long time and and perhaps a lot of this just comes with uh with uh, age with getting older but it's taken me a long time to realize that that self-care really is uh an important thing that that we need to have uh, as as healthy of a balance in life as as we can when you're when you're younger and ambitious and working hard and thinking that you're invincible um, it's easy to to forget that uh, that what you do and how you do it uh, can have not only an impact on your own life and health, but an impact on those around you, particularly when you get to a point or a position in your life and in your career where uh, where you are perhaps a, a mentor and a role model, where people are taking their cue from you, where they're watching you to see what you do and how you do it as, a, as an indication of perhaps how they should be doing it as, mm -hmm. as well. And um, and I realize now that, uh, and, and I hope I've realized this for a while, that um, I need to set an example for people in how I balance my life and how I care for myself uh, in just the same way that I try to set an example for how I do my job and the kind of, and the kind of professional that I am. To, to give permission, if you will, to people to care for themselves in the, in the same way. And, and I've had directors and managers uh, in my life that uh, some of whom have, I think, done that very well and some of whom have not done that very well. And, uh, and I've you know, really tried to take note of that and, uh, and uh, you know, adjust and, and make sure that I am setting the kind of example for people that I want to so that they know it's, it's, it's not only okay, but, but important that they do the things they need to do to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. One of the reasons that I wanted to uh, chat with you on this particular topic uh, is about the work that you're doing at Oak Park uh, in terms of making statements and incorporating uh, really tough issues into your policies and your services. And, you know, I don't know if you perceive it as taking a risk, but I know that, you know, perhaps some other libraries will say, oh, we can't make a statement about Black Lives Matter, or we can't make a statement about anti-racism or whatever, you know, the hard topic is. 
you know, there's politics at play. There's, and, you know, it's possible that uh, they just don't believe it and don't want to um, engage, you know, in, in that, in that dialogue, in that rhetoric. And so I first want to, you know, always applaud Oak Park for being a consistent shining example in my estimation, you know, in terms of uh, walking the walk and being consistent on a daily basis. So can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, maybe what those decision-making processes are, you know, what are some of the discussions that you're having with your staff and your executive team? Because, you know, everyone has lots of feelings and, and some of these things become really urgent and then you have to, it's always a balance of, you know, what to do and when to do it. Uh, do you do it long-term or is this just a, a short-term statement, et cetera? So would love to hear a little bit about how you navigate these particular waters at Oak Park. It's a, it's a balance for sure. And, and we'd be naive to think or say that there are no risks in, in doing these things because there, there certainly are. Um, no less of which because we we work for a public institution and uh, and people pay attention very very carefully very closely to the things that we that we say and that we do. Mm-hmm. But I'm and and I certainly understand that uh, and certainly know that I have many colleagues that I talk to about these things um, who would love I think personally to be able to say more to be able to. Um, proclaim these things a little more, a little more loudly, um, but, um, bec- but are constrained often by, by forces sometimes beyond their control, boards of directors and, and for other reasons. And, and I'm, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I work in a community that, um, that supports people like me uh, being able to lead our organization through times like this in the direction that I know we need to go because uh, because the community agrees with that um, and and that's and that's great for me so but even then um, certainly it's a big community and there are lots of opinions and not everyone agrees when you make those kinds of statements and I think back uh, in in the early days of the of the pandemic um, when we uh, when we saw uh, the, the horrible crime committed against George Floyd, and uh, and we chose my leadership team chose, and I made a very public statement uh, about that at that time. First to our our staff members, and uh, and then to the and then to the community, and um, I think that 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 made a, a a big impact, a great impact on our on our staff particularly our, our our black staff and and staff members of color to see that and and hear that um, but at the same time I think there was also a realization that perhaps we hadn't done enough of that in the past okay. and maybe and maybe we needed to do more and uh, so you know so at the same time that that I think there was a lot of, of gratitude that we did that, I think it was also uh, at the beginning of the time at the Oak Park Library that we were really getting into the into the the thick of the work of our anti-racism journey. Okay. And so a lot of heightened awareness there of what 
what our organization and the people in it had done in the past, what they had failed to do, uh, what they were trying to do now. Um, and uh, and so, you know, again, a, a cautious optimism, perhaps that we were beginning to move in 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 the right direction. So so again, while I felt very supported and very comfortable making that statement, mm-hmm. I knew there there were risks. And uh, and I was I was grateful to hear from the staff who said, you know, this is good, but more of this, please. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and one of the things you said was um, this idea of perhaps not have not doing enough in the past or doing previous uh, work in this area. Uh, and we have a mutual colleague um, who tells a story about. Uh, being a public library director when Black Lives Matter first came up and her staff wanted to put up a book display. And she said that she would not allow them to put up this book display because she said something to the effect of, you don't believe that Black Lives Matter any other day. And so her feeling was, if the staff in the library had not shown prior commitment and uh, shown prior consistency in trying to do some of the work that you described, she didn't want the book display to be performative um, and, and be temporary and not really signify a change of heart or a, a change of opinion, um, I, perhaps with the fear that it could do damage, right? If you, if you project this signal of this type of support in this type of statement and not follow through. So maybe a follow-up question would be for those libraries, uh, those directors, uh, those staffs who want to start on this path, what would you suggest or how would you suggest that they get started uh, in a a non-performative way, if you will? Sure. Well, yeah, I think that there's a lot, a lot to what that director was was thinking and and saying, because one of the things that I've learned from the uh, the consultant in Oak Park with whom we're working through our anti-racism journey, um, and this is also one of the reasons why I'm so happy that we're working with this particular uh, woman mm-hmm. is that uh, this work is very, very much dependent on the building of relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. She, you know, she has reminded us over and over again that, you know, I can't, as the director, just come in and say, this is the work that we're going to do and here's how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. She, even as a woman of color, cannot come into the organization and say, here I am, this is the work we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. If there is no relationship there, mm-hmm. if we haven't spent the time to think deeply about and listen to people talk about their experiences and build and build those relationships so that as this director you spoke to said, so that it doesn't become this, this meaningless performative art exercise that we go through and we do this, this uh, display and then in a few weeks it's gone and we go back to whatever we thought normal was before mm-hmm. that. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot to that. And, um, and you know, we've been thinking about doing this work for, for a long time. And you know, I, I was having a conversation just this morning 
with another colleague, a good colleague of mine in the area who's going through this work at the same time we were. We were talking about this idea of, of relationships. And we were also talking about how as, as leaders we're, we're working to lead our organizations through this. And, and both of us said, you know, we've thought for a few years now about bringing a staff person into the organization uh, a, a director of EDI, if you will, to sort of take the responsibility for and just begin leading this work. And I said to him during that conversation, you know, I'm, I'm very glad now that last year or two years ago, I didn't do that because I do think that at that point we weren't ready. We hadn't spent enough time listening yet. We hadn't spent enough time thinking about what our history was yet. And as Rashida often has said to me again, we, we would have perhaps done more damage if we, had, if we had done that than if we had done nothing at all. Right. And, I, and I really think that's accurate. I really think that's true. So I would say to directors who are you know, really serious about about doing this and are are working to get support for doing this, please spend a lot of time listening, especially listening to your staff members who are black staff members, staff members of color. Please listen to them very carefully about what they think about your environment, what they think about your organization, what their experience is working in it, what what they experience from their fellow uh, coworkers, what they experience from patrons who come into the library. Um, that's gonna tell you a lot about where your organization is and be prepared to be pretty shocked <laughs> about some of the things that you hear that you had really no idea were, were going on. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, your point about listening and, and actually listening to hear is so important in addition to, you know, this idea of building and maintaining relationships. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, it, it's hard to tell, right? Because things and topics become trendy. So I'm hoping that this uh, trend of anti-racism after the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many other people uh, will have some lasting effect and get some folks in some organizations on the path uh, where they may not have been on the path before. Um, but as you know, I've written about and talked about, and I'm, I know that you know, um, being a librarian, we got into uh, this fad of uh, book clubs, anti-racism book clubs. And you know, people were saying, you know, I'm reading How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, and I'm reading uh, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. And I think, that's fabulous. Now, what are you going to do with it? Right? Because it is not enough to just read it. Um, right. What are you going to actually do uh, with this information? Right. Are you serious about, about real change in your organization? Because if you are, yeah, yes, it's going to require a lot more than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, another question that I wanted to ask you um, when I uh, was working in Illinois, uh, teaching some wonderful uh, library science students, I've had the pleasure of teaching quite a few people that uh, have worked at Oak Park or perhaps currently work at Oak Park and have used some of the examples of the services that Oak Park offers 
in classes to you know provide different examples. Um, one of them is the book bike. And so you have staff members that uh, have this really adorable little bike. It looks like a little ice cream truck on the back. Um, and they go to different community events and pop-up events, and they can actually have, you know, a small little lending library. Um, and perhaps more importantly, they're making that outreach connection with communities. And in talking and sharing these examples of uh, white staff members at Oak Park um, doing this job, on more than one occasion, I have had um, Black students say, I think that's a great example, um, but I could never do that um, because I'm afraid that someone in the neighborhood will call the police because they see this strange Black person uh, roaming their neighborhood, right? And we are in a society in the last couple of years, I mean, I think it's ongoing, but it's received much more attention um, that Black people have had police called on them for selling water or having a barbecue or any innocuous thing, um, but they're othered and then uh, viewed as a threat. And so some of the students of color perceived that type of outreach as actually uh, dangerous to them. And I will say, even as a Black woman, um, I had never considered that. Now, it's probably because I've never done that type of outreach work in my library practice. Um, but I think it's, you know, I was grateful to have that conversation with the students. So this is, you know, context for me asking you, you know, in part of uh, the process of listening to your Black staff and your staff of color, you know, what happens if you have a staff member that says, I can't do that because that would actually put my personal safety uh, at risk. Not that I don't want to do my job. Um, and, you know, so what, how do we address this? Um, and, and you're at a, a really great place um, and doing great things, but there are going to be other staff members in other places who may not have that choice, right? And then we wind up losing great people from our organization. So it's a, it's a kind of muddy question, I think, um, but just thinking about how do we keep our staff of color, our Black staff, our Indigenous staff, how do we keep them safe? Um, because the world is bigger and meaner <laughs> than than the library is. Oh, for sure. Yeah, firstly, we would never um, require that a staff member, a Black staff member, a staff member of color do something like provide that particular service if in any way they felt that they could not for reasons of 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 safety and security mm -hmm. um we would we would absolutely listen to to their feelings and their experiences and uh, and there would never be a requirement that they would that they would have to have to do that there's a lot of conversation right now going on in oak park about the profiling of of uh, black citizens black youth in particular um, and a lot of controversy about that in the in the community, hmm. and um, and so I'm you know I'm whereas in years past I might have thought that that was an uh, an odd uh, fear to have or maybe an unrealistic fear to have in in Oak Park with with all the listening that I've done and what I've learned over the last couple of years it's not at all in, uh, an unreasonable concern or fear for for a black person to have so right we wouldn't we would never require that they get on that bike 
and provide that that service in in uh, in that way. I mean, I'm grateful that we are able to do it, and it's an incredibly popular uh, uh, service that we provide, and uh, and I, and a, a happy time when when uh, when schools and families and parties and other uh, other groups see us coming with our staff coming with the book bike. Uh, to provide programs and materials and other and other services, but but being aware that 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 kind of environment would not necessarily be safe for all of our staff is is certainly something that we would take uh, to heart mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I said, it was um, it's these types of conversations can be so eye opening um, and. Oh you know, really uh, to kind of shine a light on the disparities that not only exist in our society, but exist in our profession, um, you know, in terms of how different people are treated, uh, maybe more so even how different people are perceived. Um, and so, you know, as part of this um, idea of equitable leadership or social justice leadership, Part of that is recognizing and acknowledging and acting on these uh, differences uh, that we perceive so we can make sure that we take care of everyone in the organization. Exactly. And, 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 and taking care of them or being, as we try to put it at Oak Park, um, being, being concerned or aware of, of our staff members' well-being mm -hmm. is part of, part of doing that equitably is understanding that everybody's needs are going to be different and everyone is going to require something uh, a little bit different and and being aware of that adjusting to that and 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 listening to what people have to say we you know as a part of our of our work to uh, to improve the well-being and, and to safeguard the well-being of our staff uh, we do uh, have routine conversations and surveys uh, anonymous ones where uh, staff members can talk about how they're how they're feeling about their work environment, whether that is about um, our anti-racism work or whether it's about working in a physical space during the pandemic and mm. what that does to people's right. Right. anxiety levels. Um, you know, really listening to what to them tell us what their experience is, so that uh, if we need to adjust something about our environment or the ways that we're providing services, we can then talk seriously about doing that, so that we're responding. In a in a positive way to those to those uh, concerns and, and the things that our staff members are telling us. We'll return to our interview in just a moment. First, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for the podcast, the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Interested in librarianship? Then join a nationally ranked program with over a quarter century of experience educating leaders in the field online. From the State Library of Vermont to San Francisco to the Business Library of Oxford University, our graduates lead in schools, cities, and states around the U.S. and beyond. Now, let's get back to our interview. So with this in mind, and you're talking about uh, the work that Oak Park is doing uh, in terms of anti-racism and in other uh, aspects of uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion, what would you say is next? What are the upcoming goals, if you will, for where you would like to see Oak Park next? Well, we're really in the in the thick of the work right now. We have uh, we have an anti-racism advisory team that our consultant worked to put together. 
that includes staff members, board members, community members, uh, many people of color on, on that team. And right now that group is working to put together uh, an anti-racism strategic plan for the library, which when it's completed, and I'm, I'm anticipating that it will be completed either at the very end of this calendar year or the beginning of 2021, we'll present that to our board of trustees um, with the idea that that will then become a part of the library's overall strategic plan. And as a part of that, the conversations that that team is having is uh, a lot about um, you know, personal experiences of racism, but also a lot about structural and systemic issues that we have to that we have to work through. Mm -hmm. And and so far this year, and and happily we've been able to continue that work even through the pandemic. Um, the work that we've been doing all this year has been about looking at the library as an organization. What do we have to do as an organization to change? Once we get through a good part of that work, and once we have a strategic plan that, uh, that we all agree is, is one that's going to really help us to advance as an anti-racist organization, then next year, a lot of the work then turns to not only how do we that now communicate about what we're doing and the kind of organization that we, uh, that we are in the community, but also talking about and teaching about how our relationship with the, with the, the Oak Park community is necessarily going to be a, a new one, hmm. a different, sure. a changed one. Because if, because if we're a different organization, then the way that we interact with and present ourselves to the community and the way that that community experiences us is also going to be different. Mm. And, and we're not naive, I hope. I mean, in other words, we know that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to respond very positively to that, but there may also be a lot of people who may not respond mm -hmm. very positively to that, especially when we are talking about changing how we provide services and programs and materials in a way that prioritizes the needs of people whose needs have not been prioritized in the past. Yes. Um, and, and then we really get into uh, how, how our change as an organization then changes the way that, uh, that the library serves, serves the community. Mm -hmm. So that, once once we have done more of the work that we still need to do to to think about how we need to change internally then we move to how what does that have to do now with how we are perceived externally mm -hmm. and how we, how we do that and there's going to be a lot more a lot more talking and a lot more listening at that uh, at that stage as well absolutely no that sounds great so i'm thinking as you're describing this process uh, and, and certainly there's a lot of commitment behind this process. What might your thoughts or advice be to libraries that perhaps don't have the board support or who can't hire a consultant? Can they still engage in this work? I think they can. I, I would hope that they can. 
Um, but I think that if they if they truly don't have or think they have the support of their governing board or the, uh, the broader support of the of the community, um, but they may I would hope have the support of each other working in the organization. That I think that there are still things that uh, that they can they can do if they want to if they want to grow in understanding. And, and, and one of those things is, as I said earlier, is really working to build authentic relationships. Mm -hmm. and, and if you are, those libraries are like my library is where the majority of the managers and directors in the organization are white people, mm -hmm. uh, that the first thing you need to do is, is find ways to listen to your staff members who are not. Um, give them safe ways and opportunities to talk about their experiences um, so that they feel comfortable doing that, so that they feel protected doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you find ways to create affinity groups for those staff members. Um, there, there are different ways you could potentially do that, but you, you're, you're going to have to find ways to really listen and really be open to the things that you're going to hear that may sometimes shock you, may sometimes appall you, may sometimes make you think that that these things couldn't possibly be true or are really happening because they are. They are true. They are happening. These are the experiences. And unfortunately, we haven't uh, we haven't been paying attention or wanted to pay attention enough to see them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if 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 you're really if you're really uh, in the in a position where you feel like you have to just kind of do that work really closely together as an organization, work as I said on finding ways to 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 build those relationships and to build that trust. It's not easy. But um, I think it's really valuable, important work that you could be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. So before I ask you uh, a concluding question, is there anything on this topic or the work that you're doing uh, at Oak Park that you would like to share or emphasize? Perhaps something I haven't already asked you or um, touched upon already. Oh gosh, I mean, from a, from a very personal perspective, I would say that you know there is there is certainly a lot about this work that um, causes me uh, certain amounts of anxiety, apprehension, um, uncertainty, mm -hmm. and and you know I have had to uh, really come to terms. Uh, individually with that and and understand that that's just the way it's it's going to have to be for for a while you know again i'm a, i'm a 50 year old something white man who's worked in this profession for over 30 years and i'm leading this organization and i've and i've had to think a lot about what does it mean for a middle-aged white guy to be leading this organization at at this time and you know, one of the things I've I've decided is that 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 leadership. I mean, some people uh, perhaps call it servant leadership. I mean, there may be different terms for it, but what I mean is that as a leader, as the director, at this time, I have to be I have to get comfortable often with just 
leading by just listening, hmm. leading by giving other people the opportunity to be heard and just accepting what they what they have to say and just and just sitting with that and thinking about that and um, and using that if I can to do the work that uh, that needs to be that needs to be done. You know, again, when I was younger, I might have been much more tempted to just rush in full force. I'm here. I'm the director. This is the way we're going to do this, and and that would just, I think, be a, an unmitigated disaster. Um, so I'm, you know, maybe again, I'm I'm older and maybe a little uh, maybe a little wiser. I hope, um, but uh, yeah, that's. Um, that's one of the things personally that that I've learned about doing this work right now. Yeah, that's wonderful, and it's it's a I think it's really powerful and important. Not only what you said, but this emphasis on essentially it's it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to kind of learn as you go. Um, I fear that sometimes people um, are hesitant to get into this work because. Not even that they're necessarily being perfectionists, but they just feel like, I just don't know what to do. Um, and sometimes you just have to get in there and, uh, you know, get dirty and, and get uncomfortable and just kind of like work your way through it with with your staff, with yeah. your, yes. your colleagues. And stop. Yes. And stop thinking that that you um, are supposed to have all of the answers. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I mentioned a conversation again that I had earlier, I'll mention it again. Uh, this individual, this colleague I was talking to said, you know, I've just gotten back the report of, of all of the observations and the listening that our, that our consultant did. And I'm looking at all of this and I'm, I'm I was like, I don't know what to, there's so much here to do and I'm scared and I don't, you know, I'm not sure what to think and how am I ever going to do all of this? And I said, okay, first of all, breathe <laughs> because, because there is, stop thinking that, that now that you have this, that you are supposed to by yourself go off and try to figure out the solutions to all of this because that is not going to happen. You, you have to put that out of your mind. Um, and uh, and and just realize that a, a lot of this is not necessarily going to uh, be be fixed or solved or progress isn't necessarily going to be made just because of something you do or something you say, um, but how you provide uh, the opportunities for other people to say and to do. That's that's where you're going to really see things I think start to start to happen. So yeah, it's just, just relax a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think in addition to relax, um, I think also, you know, small actions matter, right? Cause yeah. I'm hearing also in your conversation, you know, with your colleague that, you know, it, it feels sometimes like only the large grand gestures are, the things that are going to work. And it's really the, the small things that add up over time uh, yeah. that produce a, a cumulative effect. Oh, I definitely agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to end by asking you, um, what gives you hope? Oh, gosh, especially at this time, the day after the, the national elections, mm -hmm. what gives me hope is that I 
work with and 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 am in community with a lot of people who uh, realize that if if we're going to have any change at all, that's going to come uh, at a very local level. It's going to come from the work that we do every day with the people that we work with, the people that we live with. It's going to come from that kind of of collective action, um, and uh, and it's going to come because we have these relationships not these perfect relationships not these relationships where we're all necessarily coming from the same place with the same ideas and the same thoughts and the same opinions but we are all coming at it from the from the place of this is our community this is our place and we want to do something to make it better, to make it more fair, to make it more equitable, to make it a place where everyone can thrive. And, and knowing that I get to work in a place where there are a lot of people that, that think that way is what gives me a lot of hope. Amazing. Amazing. That is the perfect way to conclude our conversation. I want to thank you again so very much for sharing some time and and sharing your expertise and your experience uh, doing some really hard work. Oh, I really appreciate it, Dr. Cook. Thank you so much for asking me. Absolutely. Thank you. 